Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Today, we're going to take a bit of a detour away from the lending industry and the topic that's very important, um, ever more so in, in society today. And we wanted to um, bring some attention to the final day of Suicide Awareness Month. Um, so we have a very special guest for that, Dr. Shira Kafker. She's a supervising psychologist who manages and trains psychologists. So today we're going to have a conversation specifically around suicide awareness, mental health in general. Um, we're going to be putting some information out if you or anyone you know needs help. So we really just want to kind of talk about the topic, talk about some myths, and then get everyone a little bit more comfortable discussing it, which I think ends up being half the struggle uh, most of the time. So um, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having yep. me. I think this is a really important topic. I'm glad you guys are talking about it. Yeah. It's so important you're having two folks on interview yeah. you today with Elena as well, because we both are, are very passionate about mental health and mental health awareness. So we really wanted to um, kind of be, be on this. Um, so um, unfortunately, suicide is something that is getting a lot more attention recently throughout the pandemic, um, mental health struggles in general. Um, so I kind of wanted to start by talking a little bit about causes of that, um, you know, getting into kind of how it's always been an issue, but, you know, acutely during the pandemic, things that increase it, and then we can go from there. Absolutely. So as you're saying, it has always been an issue. I think a lot of people are taught about suicide in the context of bullying. And so there's this idea that suicide is directly related to bullying, but really it certainly can be an exacerbating factor, but they're separate issues. And so when we're thinking about suicide and mental health struggles, we're really thinking of anxiety and depression. And in the pandemic, especially as you, as you said, Jim, really those issues, those struggles for people have been going up. I think the CDC said something along the lines of an increase by about 5%, which does not sound like a lot, but really is if we're thinking about the adults across the country. Right. Um, and this is especially prevalent for those younger adults, so like the 18 to 30 age group. Mm -hmm. um, and suicide in general over the past number of years has also been increasing. And it's the second leading cause of death um, between the ages of 10 and 34. So it is definitely an important issue to be talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think something that's really interesting is as people are, you know, shifting to work from home and we've seen this increase in, you know, suicides in those statistics, um, what can you know, coworkers and managers do to support those um, around them and, and see those crisis signs? So I think the big thing is first recognizing that there's an issue. So when you're thinking about how you can support colleagues, you want to be on the lookout for any big changes. So a lot of times people might have the misconception that if someone is late, for example, that means there's something going on. But if they're just a late person, then we can be a little less concerned versus someone who is very prompt, very timely, and all of a sudden they're late. Other warning signs to really be on the lookout for are 
we're really going to categorize them into kind of talking, doing, and mood related. So if people start talking about feeling hopeless, talking about feeling like a burden on their coworkers, um, talking about wanting to die, that might be a little less relevant if they're not very close to the coworkers, but either way, if that comes up, that's certainly a warning sign. If they start withdrawing from projects or from social opportunities with coworkers, giving things away. So if they have a project that they're working really hard on and all of a sudden they're like, you know what, you can take over the project, um, changes in sleep. So again, the keyword being change, right? So someone who usually sleeps a certain amount and all of a sudden they're saying to you that they're a lot more tired or that they're sleeping a lot more than usual um, and just general changes in mood. So if you're noticing a coworker is feeling depressed, feeling anxious, more irritable than usual, or the opposite, if there's all of a sudden they've been struggling and all of a sudden they seem very relieved or there's a huge improvement very suddenly, those can also be warning signs. So once you identify those in your coworker or in your supervisee, it's really important to be very direct about addressing your concerns. So there's, you know, Jim, you mentioned myths before. There's a very common myth that you're going to put an idea into someone's head that asking about suicide or asking about mental illness puts the idea into their head and that's not true you are not ever going to put an idea in someone's head that was not already there so it is really important to ask them what's going on to ask directly of course depending on your position because certainly if you're a supervisor versus a colleague it's more or less appropriate to ask if someone's having thoughts of suicide but to create that safe space for them so that they are able to answer you as honestly as possible and of course you always want to suggest referring them to a mental health professional our general colleagues and supervisors as wonderful and supportive as we all try to be for each other in any field are not trained in mental health issues so if you think someone is really struggling and at risk for hurting themselves or hurting somebody else it's very important to put it out there that there are professionals who can support them in a different way and it seems like that's a tough line to walk because on one side if you just ask someone are you okay you know, we were talking before the meeting that was I think one of Elena's pet peeves of just not not a question that is really direct at all or helpful for someone to answer but on the other side you know if you say hey I've noticed your mood changes or hey you're a lot more irritable than normal um or and or I think you should go and see someone like how are they not going to get defensive right so either you're too vague or run the risk of just kind of aggravating them and not being pr productive so are there any tips for kind of negotiating those types of conversations? Absolutely. It is such a delicate balance. And the first thing I would say is that it's really important to create a private space when you're going to broach that conversation. So, you know, to use the stereotype of the water cooler, if everyone's around, that's not really the type of the, the moment to say, oh, hey, you know, I noticed you're really irritable lately. Um, but if you're, again, whether it's a colleague or a supervisor, if you're calling someone into your office or going into their office and closing the door, 
creating that space of privacy is an important step. I think also even backing up before we broach those conversations, it's really important to create an open communication and an accepting communication environment in workplaces in general. And by that, I really mean encouraging people to be able to share with their superiors if they're feeling overwhelmed or if they're struggling with anything work related or personal and being aware of how we talk about topics that can be sensitive. So I know we spoke earlier about um, jokes around suicide and people being very flippant about saying, oh, I just want to die or kill me now, things like that. And gun to my that, head. Yeah. And that feels very colloquial of just a way of expressing feeling overwhelmed. But to someone who is struggling with that thought, that's really a signal of I'm not a safe person. You can't really come to me because I'm not taking it seriously, whether you mean it that way or, or not. Or someone that knows someone who's been affected by suicide. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so, and I'm glad you're bringing that up because again, we're talking about not just people who are struggling with thoughts of suicide, but also people who are struggling with mental health in general, which of course includes grief, if someone knows someone who's been affected by suicide. And so I think the environment is a really critical foundational piece. When you're broaching the actual conversation with someone, again, it depends whether you're a colleague or a supervisor. So I think colleagues have a little bit more space to be familiar with each other and to be on more personal terms. So you might say something like, I'm feeling worried about you. Here are some behaviors I've noticed or some things I've noticed you've said that makes me worried. Um, versus a supervisor that really it might be more appropriate to frame it within a work context, but still, of course, expressing that personal concern of, you know, I've noticed, to use the example from earlier, that you've been coming in a little bit late recently. I want to make sure everything's okay. Is there a reason behind that? And again, remembering that it is not your responsibility, whether you're a colleague or a supervisor, to solve the problem, to get someone better using air quotes, um, to get rid of, again, using air quotes, those thoughts that they might be struggling with. It's your responsibility to make sure they know that there are professionals out there who can help them and can get them to a healthier space. Now, speaking specifically of therapy and just kind of those support systems for mental health, I know something that I have personally struggled with and I know others that have struggled with this as well is finding a mental health provider, not only the insurance part of it, but also just finding someone who's the right fit, who doesn't have a six month waiting list, who you can get in with and have a conversation. Absolutely. And it's all the more difficult with this increase in anxiety and depression and all kinds of other issues with the pandemic because more and more people are seeking out help. So in terms of the logistics of physically finding someone, you mentioned insurance, and that is a big barrier for a lot of people. So if you absolutely are someone who must go through your insurance, 
using a website like ZocDoc or actually logging on to your insurance's website can be two really good resources. ZocDoc has the ratings built right into the, sim the system and your insurance will give you the names and then you will, I do recommend researching and following up to see what areas of expertise the person has, what their general style is. So those are the logistics of finding someone in terms of if you don't require someone to be in network with your insurance, other resources can be psychology today, um, social media, as we talked about, and even, even just Googling therapists near me. Mm -hmm. And Google can be a great resource. It'll generate lots of people who will pop up. I do, you know, when you're talking about finding a good fit, I do really want to emphasize that everyone should feel empowered to ask questions. So there's a huge power differential when you as a patient or client, however we want to refer to ourselves, walks into the room with a therapist. And oftentimes that can really intimidate people and make them feel like, oh, this person is the expert. I need to just listen and go along with what they're saying. And that is absolutely not true. You are the person who knows yourself best in the whole world and you know what's going to feel right for you. So some things to keep in mind when you're talking to a new therapist are a scheduling a consultation call you don't even have to go in and pay for a first session most therapists offer consultation calls so that you can get to know each other a little bit first again without paying for a full first session or feeling the pressure to spend the full hour or 50 minutes or whatever it is getting to know each other just kind of having a little taste so you can see if it's worth it to then have a first session and in that <clears throat> excuse me in that time then you can really pay attention to personality because whether it's a therapist a friend a colleague a supervisor we know the personalities that we work well with and that's a really important factor because therapists are people too also thinking about what the orientation is of the therapist in terms of the theories that they're thinking about so are they someone who focuses on building your insight and helping you become more aware of the roots of where some of these feelings or experiences are coming from are they someone who's more focused on skills and looking at okay what can you be doing to help yourself in the moment or what thoughts are getting in the way for you and how can you address those maybe it's someone who uses a little bit of both um and thinking about what feels like it's going to be most helpful for you in the moment and again feeling empowered to say thank you so much for your time. I don't think this is the right fit for me. Those are very important words and you absolutely mm -hmm. have the power to say them. I think it's definitely an awkward thing to feel like you're cold calling psychologists, leaving messages, mm -hmm. waiting for people to, to follow up. Um, but I think that's, you know, those are all excellent points. And I think having a sense of what you want whether it's a particular behavior you want to start talking about if it's like let me just talk about all these general feelings just like any other kind of you know patient relationship if you go to a doctor you're typically not going to say oh yeah everything's like 
you know, unless it's your annual checkup, usually you're going in because of your foot or your leg or your shoulder or, you know, a yeah. bump on the head or whatever it may be. So I think yes, it, what I'm hearing is kind of specifics. The more you give them, the more you'll be able to get yes. out of it. Although I will say mm -hmm. a lot of times people then have the question of like, well, I don't know. I don't feel like I really have the words to describe. I feel off in some way, but yeah. I don't know how to share that with someone, especially people who are new to therapy or who might yeah. not have talked a lot about feelings or experiences in their childhood or in their adulthood. Mm -hmm. And so that's okay too. If yeah. you're feeling off in whatever way, I also really want to empower people not to feel like you have to go in with an agenda because mm -hmm. sometimes it is starting the therapeutic right. relationship that helps you determine what's going to be a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. You might go in thinking, oh yeah, you know, that idea of building insight and awareness sounds really good to me. And then in the moment, either it's not a good fit with the therapist or you might end up deciding, nah, actually, I'd really rather move in this direction instead. And all of that is okay. And we as human beings, we need different things at different points in our lives. And that's okay, too. So yes, absolutely. The more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. But not necessarily just through an agenda, really just mm -hmm. it comes back to your effort and your openness. So if you're mm -hmm. really putting yourself into the experience of therapy and being open and committed, no matter what that therapy looks like, that's when you'll get the most out of it. I think in the same way we talked about some misconceptions around suicide and talking to people about it. I think the media has created a lot of misconceptions around therapy. You know, you're laying on a couch, yes. uh, you're having that goodwill hunting moment where you're just bursting into tears. You know, what are some of kind of the things you've seen that the general public gets wrong about the way that therapy is perceived? Yeah, I definitely think laying on the couch is a really big one. People come in wondering where the couch is. And in a lot of therapists' offices, there aren't even couches, there are just chairs. Um, and I think this idea of a blank slate, as we call it, so the idea of a therapist being totally neutral, not necessarily having any expression, saying, mm-hmm, Oh, interesting. And relating it back to your mother. And those, I think, what? How does that make you feel? Yes, exactly. Yeah. How does that make you feel? And, you know, we do want to know how it makes you feel. Chances are we're not going to be asking like that. Um, and not everything is about your mother. So <laughs> it really comes back to, again, the type of therapy that you're seeking, the type of therapist that you're working with. But a lot of therapists really, really allow the client to lead. And I think from the way that I do therapy, I think that's a really important piece because you're the one who knows your goals and what you want to work on. And it's my job as the therapist to work with you as a team member and to help you get to those places. And sometimes that means that I'm sharing my reactions. Sometimes that means that we're talking about skills. Again, this is very much in terms of my own style and every therapist works differently, but it's definitely not that blank slate. It's a very interactive process. Awesome. Um, I just have one more question before we wrap up here. 
So I know there's definitely, I feel like a separation between millennials and some of the older generations on the viewpoint of therapy, especially in the workplace. Uh, you know, I feel like working with both generations, I've definitely seen a difference in how they treat mental health and the conversation that happens in the workplace. So really, how do the two generations come together to have a healthy conversation about it, especially since so many of our uh, listeners and the companies in our industry really do have that wide expanse between, you know, even Gen Z and baby boomers in their workforce? That's a really great question. I think that's where I don't want to let stereotypes get in our way of the stereotype of those insensitive boomers criticizing those overly sensitive millennials. And I think when we really step back and think about it, absolutely across the generations, we're more or less comfortable talking about feelings, talking about mental health, but we are all comfortable relating to each other and that's the important piece. So again, it really circles back to that open communication and that direct communication that's really going to facilitate these conversations in the workplace. And it's okay and very appropriate if people don't wanna share their deep dark secrets or their deep dark feelings with their colleagues and with their supervisors. That's not the Mm -hmm. place for it. It's really about recognizing those warning signs that we talked about earlier so those changes and being able to talk about it enough to say i'm concerned here are these broad resources and i think across generations people can agree on that when someone needs help we want to get them that help of any kind the last question i have going to therapy and finding a therapist and starting is a huge step and you very much have to be ready for that in my experience. But, you know, if someone's not ready to take that step, but still wants to manage their mental health, um, what recommendations do you have, especially, you know, in the world where we're mostly on Zoom, especially in the business world, working remote? Absolutely. That's a really important question. And just generally, I divide it into your body, your mind, and your emotions. And so if we're talking about your body, that's where we hear all the time about the need for exercise, the need for enough sleep, the need for a balanced diet, avoiding excess use of substances. Um, If we're talking about your mind, it means taking breaks from the news sometimes because that can be overwhelming reading if you like to read, watching TV if you like to watch TV, but in reasonable quantities. So trying to avoid those binges that I'm certainly guilty of. Um, And if we're talking about taking care of your emotions, therapy if you're ready and feel like that's something that's going to work for you, spending time with loved ones, whether that's family or friends um, or pets, engaging in things that make you happy. So any kind of hobby or activity, religion can also be a really big source of support for a lot of people, both in the sense of the faith piece and in the sense of the community piece. So I think any of those things, but just making sure that we're taking a full account of our entire being. So body, mind, and feelings. I think that's a great way of summing it up because people care a lot. The body stuff, you know, is a lot easier to deal with, but often, often neglected is off the other items. Yes. 
Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up, I just want to share some uh, key information for people um, that may be experiencing either a mental health crisis or just need these resources. Um, the National Suicide Hotline number is 1-800-273-TALK, which is 8255. Um, and there's also a texting line available. So if you don't feel comfortable talking on the phone, um, you can text NAMI as a National Alliance on Mental Illness at to 741-741, um, and you'll be connected with a free crisis counselor um, through a text line. So if you are in crisis or you know anyone who does need those resources um, that you've had a conversation with, please uh, share them and uh, use them as needed. Well, thank you so much, uh, Shira, thank for you, joining us and giving us your so over, ever so valuable uh, input and guidance on this you know, difficult to talk about subject. Yeah. Thank you guys. I think really, I'm so appreciative that you're putting this into your podcast and really increasing awareness. And just by talking about it reduces the stigma and helps the generations come together. So I'm, I'm so glad that you guys are talking about this. Very important and very complicated. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And as our wrap up, of course, thank you everyone uh, for listening and we'll see y'all next week. Thank you for listening to Lodestar's Landing Leaders. I'd like to give a special thanks to Brian Rieger and Elena Gardner who help us create this podcast every week. Please remember to like and subscribe the podcast wherever you listen to it. It helps us a lot. Thanks. Talk to you next week.